Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Hi, welcome back to another podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about the reality of what this off-grid, minimal living, scamp trailer life is. Yeah, we normally talk about and try to keep it to the positives because we really appreciate this lifestyle and we think it's awesome um, and we don't want to sound whiny, but we've been, a lot of our friends and family and just like people have been jumping into doing this or something similar so we want to frame it out so that we have oh you mean like jumping into this lifestyle yeah and lots of people online even are messaging us like hey we got a new rig we got a so we want to paint it paint the real picture of it too so that you are prepared for the different challenges and stuff that come with it i've been feeling kind of responsible for the amount of people that I'm seeing doing this type of a lifestyle, not that it's because of us, um, but like you said, we do get a lot of people who are saying, I'm about to start this lifestyle, um, I just bought my first camper, I'm about to hit the road soon, I can't wait, and it's really easy and fun to make the videos about the positive sides of this lifestyle, because it's mostly amazing. And in our mental practice, it's kind of a thing that we work on is trying to find the positive in everything. And this whole list of things that we have kind of gathered, we have intentionally selected all the negative things, or the things that most people would probably see as negative. But we could turn every single one of these into a positive, but for the sake of being realistic, I didn't, before we started this, I didn't realize that there was so much to think about. So... And now it's it's hard to even approach it from a beginner's mind because all of this is just normal now. So we really had to stretch to, okay, so... Yeah, the challenges when we started are different than the challenges that are now. So I guess keep that in mind too. And in the responsibility thing, it's not as much that it's like our fault or other people's fault that people are choosing to live nomadically and do this type of thing. I think it's kind of a symptom of our culture more than it is just, oh, it's the van lifer's fault for inspiring people to do this. Um, housing is extremely expensive, and a lot of people our age are sort of drowning in debt, and there's not a lot of options as far as places to live and stuff go. So I think this is just a symptom of like other systems that aren't really working super great. And it's awesome, so it's but kind of both. Let's get into what is what could be seen as not so awesome. Yeah. In the off-grid category first, just the general us living in a scamp off-grid, one of the first things we kind of thought about was water collection. So we don't have, when we bought the scamp, it had a water tank. It was like 12 gallons or something, but it was super gnarly. Old, 1988. Yeah. 
So we pulled that out, and ever since, we've just been using water jugs and various different water jug systems. And we go take those into town and fill those up ourselves and bring them back to the scamp. If we had a different rig that required that, like this came with a sink and had a pump water spout thing mm -hmm. that we could have used in the sink, um, the rigs that do have that, they may need to go to town and collect water with the whole rig. Thankfully, we don't have to do that, but it's still, like, we don't have on-grid running water. Yeah. And then another thing with that is if you have running water, then you have a black water and gray water tank, at least a gray water tank. So then you have all your spent water that you're having to haul around, too, and then you have to take that into town. So it's possible to have, like, a portable system for that, but that's something to be mindful of. Solar power. If we want electricity, because we're off-grid, we have to have our solar panels placed in the sun all the time. You're moving them throughout the day. Mm -hmm. If we did have them mounted on the top, which we may be doing sooner than later, we would then have to be parking the scamp in the sun, make dedicated choices on where we're parking the scamp. And in the summer, that's kind of a pain in the ass, because when we're in hot locations, the last thing we want to do is be parking the sun. Yeah, so in the summer, we try to stay or park so that when the sun crosses the sky, we're always in the shade. So if we had top-mounted panels, that would be a thing. But what we're thinking now is doing one or two top-mounted panels that work, that are pretty efficient in uh, not complete sun. And, yeah, collecting in um, cloudy weather. Because, I mean, most of the time, most of the year, I'd say that we are, it's great to park in the sun. But that's something to think about if um, you only have top-mounted panels. Um, but also, you have to think about, do we want to be moving the panels all day? Do we want to leave the panels out while mm -hmm. we're gone? We Every time we leave, um, if we're in a really remote location, we'll leave out our smaller panel to be charging as we're gone. But um, we always put the big one back in the scamp and lock the scamp. Um, this isn't on our list, but this just came to mind. A lot of people worry and question um, the safety of leaving their camper alone when they go into town. We've That's something that I'm always thinking about, you know? Yeah. We've never had any issues. We have our um, hitch. We have a hitch lock. We also have locks on the door and the windows. And the bike is locked to the back of it with a U-lock, so it would be really hard to... It'd be hard to steal the scamp. It would have to be a premeditated thing as well. Somebody would have to, specifically for our scamp, the ball is needs to be smaller than a standard ball. Um, but you'd, like, what are you going to do with a scamp or a trailer that you steal once you steal it? It's got to be premeditated by the person who's stealing. And generally, we're parking so far out away from people and towns and stuff that very few people know we're here. And people who are out here are doing the same thing we are. They're out here to enjoy nature and experience um, nature. So it's in the city, it would be, or closer to a major city, it would be a different, totally. be a different thing. Along with the panels, um, you have to think about, anytime you plug in anything, you have to think about how much power that's going to take. Is it really worth the power that it's going to take, how are you going to catch up on the power that you consume, all those different things. Like, the batteries are just a constant process. Like, the, in in a house, we would just plug stuff into the wall, and then it just always works. 
but now then you get a bill at the end of the month and yeah but that's almost all you have to focus on yeah and almost the bill is just like just is what it is mm-hmm. and almost nothing that you do in your house will influence that bill it seems like you know out here though whenever we choose to plug a thing in we have to think about how we're going to catch up after that and is it going to be cloudy tomorrow so how much power can we use today are we going to go to town soon? Because if we go to town, we can put the batteries in the car and charge them. And we can charge our laptops while we're in town. Right. So it's we're always considering that. And now it's just become second nature to um, always be charging things. And it could be a thing where you get a bigger battery or you get more solar. But that's another thing you kind of have to figure out as you go is um, what appliances, what things are you going to be plugging in? How much battery will that take? Do you want a bigger battery to store more power? Or do you want um, more panels to bring in more power to use? Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah, so then if you have more panels, like less battery, let's say, mm -hmm. then if you're using power during the day in really like spiky usage, like say you work all day long on your computer and you're parking in sunny places, then you could do something like that. Whereas if the sun is kind of few and far between, you'd want more batteries, maybe not as much panels. It's so just... you could store it for use later. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there. Another thing to simplify all that or to make it a little bit easier is generators. Um, like small generators are definitely a thing. And Honda makes a few of them that are small enough to where you can barely hear them. And they are hyper-efficient for... How much gas they use and stuff but just that constant droning um, yeah no i mean people who have generators included most people just don't like generators Mo- they don't like other people's generators yeah every, everybody loves their generator yeah <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes anybody else's generator we've never had a generator i feel better i feel more badass using only solar for what we need but to be fair, the car is like a four-cylinder generator. True. So we can. So why do we need a generator? Well, I don't know that we do, but it would be more efficient because, like a, like the small Honda generators have one cylinder pumping. It's like a micro car motor. And that's why it's so quiet. To simplify it, yeah, and it's a far smaller piston. Whereas with our car, it's making a lot of power, um, with the four pistons. And it's just a far more complex system, so it takes more gas. But even our car running in an idle burns, I think, somewhere between like 0.2 and 0.5 gallons per hour on the high end, 0.5. So you could run a car for quite a long time on very little fuel. But generators are just more efficient than that even. And if you had a generator, then maybe you wouldn't have to think so much about the battery solar system. I mean, that's what you started this whole dialogue mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Good point. Cooking outside is something that we've also had to get used to. It's actually quite wonderful to cook outside. Um, if I have a scrap of like garlic, uh, garlic wrapper, you know, the outside of the garlic, mm-hmm. if that falls off the table, we're outside, it's fine. Um, but in the winter, it is a thing. I'm planning meals, cooking meals earlier in the afternoon for dinner so that the sun isn't gone. I'm not cooking dinner in the dark, in the cold. Um, if you're not cooking outside and you have your stove set up inside, it's a very, very small kitchen. No matter what, I mean, you're in a tiny off-grid vessel. So you're not, you're not going to be having all the luxuries that you'd have in a normal kitchen. And for a lot of people, that would be a, a big thing. 
I've seen a lot of people install miniature ovens and stoves, um, but then there's some complexity to that. How are you going to power it? Are you going to have a propane tank? How big? How often will you have to fill it? Will you have to take the whole camper into town to fill it? Or can you just take the propane tank? Probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, some you have to take the whole rig. So. Like lots of vans and stuff. There's some things to think about. And then venting too. Because if you, and what you cook, if you cook something that's highly aromatic, then your whole place is going to smell like that. Yeah, like bacon, what are you Mm going to do? You're just going to smell like a stick (laughs) of bacon for a couple weeks. Um, That also ties in with food. Generally, um, you have to rethink food, the way that you do food in an off-grid vessel, even in an on-grid vessel. Mm. Got a lot less space to store your food. Are you going to have a fridge? Will you have enough solar to power the fridge, or are you going to have a cooler? The cooler won't keep your stuff um, as cold as long. So when we lived in the city, for example, we leaned on frozen foods quite a bit, even for smoothies or like the orange chicken from Trader Joe's or different things like that that you could keep in the freezer. Which then allowed us to not have to go to the grocery stores often. Mm -hmm. But now that we We were eating not so good at that time, though. No, it's shameful. But now that we're, now that we just have a cooler, um, we have to go to the store like every three days. Yeah, which is has become a very enjoyable thing. We if we didn't eat so fresh, like if we didn't eat fresh foods all the time, we could get away with not going to the store so often. But if we want to have fresh veggies and that kind of stuff, then yeah, we have to go to the store. In the summer, though, all of our food is like we have to put all of our veggies in the cooler to keep them okay Mm -hmm. whereas in the winter it's a little bit easier to keep stuff on the counter because it's a lot colder in here um but in the summer it's we are going to the store no matter what Mm -hmm. a lot more often like our apples are getting hot on the counter how about sleep that's a different thing Mm -hmm. we have to allocate more hours to sleeping i would say to get an ample amount of sleep and that goes with well at least two of the four seasons Mm mm-hmm because in the summer, sleeping in hot weather is very, very hard. Mm-hmm. I'd say that we don't sleep much in the summer. It's all—it's harder, honestly, sleeping in the summer than it is in the dead of winter. Yeah, I agree. Because they recommend for the best sleep to lower your thermostat, like sleep in a cool environment for the best sleep. And it, it is so true. Sleeping in the winter is definitely a lot more comfortable uh, because we are two people sleeping mm-hmm. in a cool bed. Um, and we've, our blanket situation is pretty prime yeah. at this point. But then you get out of bed, the stove is no longer running, the wood-burning stove. Um, it's freezing in the camper. I mean, you have to think about that. A couple nights ago, we accidentally left the window open, so my face was so cold that I had to sleep head-to-toe underneath the blankets. <laughs> Just a, def- and our bed, I think our, the size of our bed is in between a twin and a full. So with us and with camp, it's a, um, that's it's another adjustment. Time. We really have to work with each other. And do you want to be with the little spoon for a while? Okay, <laughs> Yeah, cool. through the night, we're <laughs> flip-flopping spoons. Yeah, or sleeping on our backs. Mm-hmm. Smell. Yeah. Smell is the thing. Yeah, it's a constant thing to be aware of because nobody like I don't like to stink like I don't like to smell bad it bothers me you know how people have you walk into their house and they have a smell Mm -hmm. that is this lifestyle but 
amplified because you're living in a teeny little trailer. You're always bringing things in from outside. Your clothes are not being washed every time you wear them. Um, our bodies, like, we sweat. Mm -hmm. It just, um, we don't, I wouldn't say that we stink, but we definitely... Like, the scamp has a smell. Like it's, yes, it's, it's unavoidable. Not, like, uh, whenever we talk to people about it, like, super candidly asking for the kind of, like, don't be nice, like, tell us what's up. You know, it has a smell, but it's not, like, bad. And nobody ever says that we stink, except my sister and my dad. But beyond that... Well, it's just when we, like, brought everything from our <laughs> storage into their house and stuff. To wash and, and yeah. stuff. Mm, Elsa, you know, you were talking about that smell. You're, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, but we do everything that we can to mitigate that. Like before, especially I, before, you don't sweat as much, No. but before I go work out or if I'm going to go on a bike ride or a long walk, even I'll choose my clothing so that I can peel it off and not sweat a bunch. And maybe you'll wear the dirtier clothes right. when you're going to work out. And then think about how I'm going to clean off when I get back. So is it warm enough to where I can shower or is there a Creek nearby that I can jump in before or like after my workout? Um, it's just something to constantly think about. We are taking our laundry to laundromats. Uh, we do it about once every one or two weeks, closer oh, to two. Two weeks. <sighs> yeah, really, really. If we, I would like to wash my clothes more. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's more realistic. Is two but weeks. in our clothes that we have are all um, antimicrobial Mostly merino wool. Mm -hmm. And if not, then we layer them so that we have merino on the bottom. We wear pajamas, like clothes to bed, so that the bed doesn't develop a smell. From us sweating in mm -hmm. it and just being a body in the bed. Because <laughs> clothes are a lot easier to smell or to clean than sound like clothing. terrible. Well, it is what it is. You can think it's however unavoidable. you want to think. I have become a lot. I've developed a stronger backbone to the way that I smell. It used to be a huge insecurity of mine. But do you ask anybody when you're out and about? No, you don't stink. What? Unless they're just being well, nice. I think we're hyper conscious about it too. And we clean ourselves. Yeah. Like I will wash off my armpits and my vagina every couple days in a bowl of water. We've got this collapsing tub that I fill with some warm water and I'll soap off and stuff. Also, baby wipes. Yeah, are super effective. We do stay hygienic. Yeah. Um. But the general smell is unavoidable. Yeah. Things. I cannot have a lot of the things that I would like to have, a lot of the things that I'm used to having, because we just don't have the space. I was out in town at a thrift store, and I saw this really, really cute hat that I really wanted, but I can't have that because I have a hat that's just like it, <laughs> and we don't have any space for it. Same thing goes with um, craft supplies, like my crochet equipment last year with all the bulky yarn. Um, was a lot. I've switched now to beads, much smaller supplies. What I'm really into right now is uh, junk journaling. I'd need to have a lot of stationery and stamps and washi tape and stuff. Junk but I can't. journaling? What is it? It's really, it's a, it's a really cool thing. An eclectic it's like, practice? It's like scrapbooking. Okay. Um, really excessive scrapbooking. It's cool. 
but I can't have that stuff, so I just have to watch YouTube videos about it. Um, and I mean, that's fine. And then on my end of that, it's more like sporting equipment. So if I want to go mountain bike, it would be nice to have shoes for mountain biking and like trail running shoes and all of our climbing gear, all these different things. We'd like to have a boat. Yeah. Little kayakers, sup boards. And two mountain bikes, but having two mountain bikes was a lot of extra weight, so now we got to figure out what we're going to do about that. Yeah, we have to be, and it's, oh, it's such a bummer because we're going to all these different states where different sports are more popular than others. So we want to get a bike for Moab. We want to like get a sup board. A sup board for Montana. Um, a surfboard for out here on the coast. There's all kinds yeah. of different sports we want to do and try. And kiteboarding, and I would love to have a one wheel, but we have to like be so selective about mm -hmm. the different things that we choose to have. For the sake of space. But also, I think about if I were living in the city. You wouldn't have access to all these different The sports, but also, like, I'm always still. It's part of our. The way that our systems are. We, you just kind of want more, more, more of like, things. For example, a hand blender. Please. I'm trying to make <laughs> soup. We need it. <laughs> Elsa this morning was like, uh, just so you know, I messaged a girl in town and was like, hey, I want your hand blender. What is it called? She's selling it on Marketplace. It's a, an immersion blender. It's for soup. I understand. You would really appreciate it once we got it. But then... It's 15 bucks. In my mind, we already have a magic bullet, which is effectively... I don't understand, you don't understand how I would blend soup in a no, freaking little magic it. bullet. No, I think you would do it in sections. Like you have whatever whatever vegetable you're blending one at a time, and then you cook it in a big bowl. You don't, oh, it's alright. It's alright. So, uh, things like this. Like we have you just heated always debates need more. about the different blending situations that we can, we're going to have because we have so little space. So when Elsa says she's going to get a hand blender, the first thing I think is, where am I going to put the hand blender after she uses it? <laughs> and I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, dog slash kids in a, an off-grid lifestyle, mobile mm -hmm. lifestyle. We met a family uh, recently, crazy story, we actually camped next to them last winter in Colorado, um, saw their rig, saw their, like, kids' stuff outside. They had a wee boost. Um, we were up here in, was it Washington we saw yeah. them? We're in Oregon now. We saw them in Washington, same setup, the wee boost. Is that that family that we saw? Yeah. And finally introduced ourselves this time, almost a year later, and, oh yeah, that was you guys. Weird. Pretty but, crazy. But they have three kids. And, and it's like a 30-plus foot Airstream, I think. Um, and they are, they're from Florida traveling, holy crap, Florida to Washington. Now they're on their way back. Um, but it is a, uh, full-time job, I would say, to have kids, even to have a dog in an off-grid lifestyle like this. It's something that we're always thinking about, even going out to eat with your sister and stuff. Yeah, where do we put the dog? Yeah. Uh, he comes everywhere with us. A lot of people often ask what we do with him when we go into town and... In these states that we've been in, states that we like usually appreciate, like allow dogs. Kansas City, that wasn't the same thing. 
but we'll bring him in the car and then in the heat of the summer one of us will go in places and the other one will take care of him or park him in the shade or we'll go warm up the car and like put him under a down blanket if he's in the car when it's cold um most of the time he would really <laughs> he just started to itch himself and looked over at us like oh yeah quiet time <laughs> sorry <laughs> He's such a weird dog. He a lot of times would prefer to just sit in the car mm-hmm. rather than go walk around with us. His favorite thing to do, though, is go into Home Depot. Everybody <laughs> wants to give him snacks. And it seems like since he's so happy in Home Depot, people think he's even cuter. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, we do think about kids, too, though, in the future. For ourselves, what would we do... Would we have to upgrade? This, our current setup, I think would be really challenging with, uh, like, what would we do with a kid in here? I think when they're teeny tiny, we could maybe, uh, it, it's... I think, too, about, like, I would like to do something like cloth diapers, so having mm-hmm. running water would be a thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to think about. And then once they get to be speaking walking age, they just run into the forest. Yeah. But, then what? but an advantage that we have is that we could, that our kid could be our, both of our full-time job effectively. We could spend a lot of time, like we have a lot of time to give to a right. child. But yeah, this would be, it would be hard, especially with a newborn. And then all the like responsibility and thinking about what happens if they get sick, what happens if they get cold, like they're just not as, yeah, we would have to change everything. Mail is hard uh, in this lifestyle, especially now with, um, it's really easy and convenient to buy things online. Amazon doesn't ship through USPS, and at USPS it's really handy because if I'm getting something sent through USPS, I can do general delivery and go anywhere um, to any USPS and pick up my package, as long as it's sent through USPS. If it's sent through UPS, USPS will send it back. Um, same with FedEx, they won't accept those packages. So Amazon ships through, what is it, FedEx? UPS or FedEx, yeah. One of them they stopped. Oh, I don't I know. I forget that. which one. But we can't accept Amazon packages, so then we have to find a Whole Foods with an Amazon locker. Um, or send it to a friend's house. Or... Uh-huh. I just had a package sent to my sister's house in Portland. She was driving three hours to come see us, so she brought the package with her. It's just kind of a pain in the butt. Especially with stickers and trying to run, like, uh-huh. and do all that. A digital business mm-hmm. without being able to receive But mail. we can print. That's an interesting thing for your sticker business. We can we run all of that remotely on solar, even print the labels and everything. So then to ship them, we just drive to town and put all the uh, shipments in a drop box, and then they're off to the races. We don't have to deal with the post office or anything. True, because of the way that I've set it up, like mm-hmm. with the online apps and stuff. That's a whole different man. That was that took a minute to get that figured out. Yeah, and then another thing is if you. Um, don't have someone or a place that you can claim as your residence, then you have to deal with mail a different way. Like, we send our mail to our parents' houses. Oh, like car? Like, just um, legal mail mm-hmm. and yeah. um, that kind of stuff. If you were getting doing the option where you get your residency in, is it South Dakota? Yeah, South Dakota. If you had your address and residency there, yeah, then what do you do? Uh, then you there are different services, so... 
you can send it to like a digital mail service and then they'll email you like copies of all the mail that you get that's one thing um, you can digitize a lot of different mail but yeah with government forms and stuff there's still physicality to a lot of it so that's something to think about so now let's get into travel the different aspects of travel and the reality of it gas is expensive <laughs> the first time that we really did a multi-state uh, in one stint Trip. it was we went from Kansas City to Arizona it was jarring I had no idea how far away Arizona really was and how much gas was going to cost how many times we'd have to stop for gas that's a long distance and we just didn't really put that together yeah because normally we travel more slowly like spot to spot and we'll stay somewhere for a while and then go to the next spot that's kind of on the way but that was a lot of miles really quickly so it added up so quick what it comes with that too is car repairs mm -hmm. we're doing those along the way and that adds up oil changes everything um, something that is happening less frequently in the city. And when it seemed like, man, this year it just all, the car issues happened all at the same time. Which is kind of nice, honestly. Got it all out of the way. Yeah, it just felt like, oh my gosh, is this ever, like, do we need a new car? But it's, f like, the struts were worn out, which is the, like, spring dampeners. Because we're always, we're towing often and we're off-road always so it just beats up the suspension of the car so different things and then we beef those up over time another thing with gas i was watching slim potato heads video today he's an awesome dude with um an a-liner camper he said that uh, you got to think about gas in the different states that you're going to be traveling in in kansas city kind of the midwest gas is a lot cheaper if you're high in the mountains it's going to be a lot more expensive um Montana is less expensive, but then you get down to California, and oh my gosh. It's like double what we were paying in Arizona. Yeah. So, um, keeping that in mind, we've intentionally kind of avoided California because not only gas, but groceries, just life in California is a lot more expensive as soon as you cross over state line. And it's, it's actually that black and white. Like, you cross into, you're in a grocery store in California, or a half mile away, you can be at a grocery store in Arizona. And the prices are near double. In California. Yeah, it's crazy. And then for snowboarding, the if you, like people often say, well, just go somewhere warmer, or go somewhere cooler, you know? Which, yeah, great option that we have. But traveling from, let's say, Arizona, even Arizona to Colorado is an expense if you're making that trek every... Um, like twice a year or whatever to change to a warmer or cooler climate. Um, that traveling all the time gets really expensive. It is a option that's available, but if we don't travel so much, then we could save that extra few hundred dollars and then use that for something else that makes us more comfortable where we are or whatever it is. Big rigs would be, at least in the way that we do things, it would be harder if we had a bigger rig because we are off-roading a lot of times, and you'd be a bit more limited if we had um, something larger. We couldn't fit into as many spots as we do now. And a lot of the spots you wouldn't be able to access. But I think if you have a bigger rig, then you just kind of change how you do things. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do it as frugally as possible. 
So if we had a big uh, Winnebago or something, motorhome, then we would probably have to spend more time and it would be a lot more comfortable in like RV parks because you're in a bigger rig so then you can move around in there and stay in there and be comfortable. But we spend a lot of time outside as it is because our space is so small. We are moving every two weeks and that is something that uh, it's the way that we do it. Being in an RV park, I mean, you're paying for your spot so you can stay as long as makes sense. But being um, in National Forest Land, BLM Land, moving across states in the way that we do, we have to move every two weeks. And that is a thing. At least every two weeks. Like, yeah. Or that's the most time that we can spend places. Mm -hmm. And then we have to leave the forest, go to a completely different area. And that can be really, really, I mean, it's more than it just it can be it is a um, quite a stressful thing because by the end of the two weeks if we have stayed the whole time we're finally getting settled in we finally know kind of the town and the area and then we have to leave yeah it's hard <laughs> finding new spots then is um where are we going to stay in this area area are we going to move to a different state different city um we use all of the resources that we have, different maps, different apps to be able to find general area of spots, but it's always kind of um, a feeling of unknowing, and that is hard to deal with. And that's something that we've had to just get comfortable with, being ultra-dynamic and adaptable, because we can't, like, forecast. We couldn't plan our route, really, because... If we did that, then we'd be confined to it, and there'd be a lot of opportunities and different oversights that we would not be able to adapt to. We cannot have routines in this way of life. We have rhythms more so than routines. I think it's possible to have a routine. It would just have to be... You'd just have to be adaptable in the routine. And, like, really dedicated to it, or... You know, like, it's, it's possible, but it limits the like adjacent it, possibilities. But it depends on how you're doing it. In the way that we are doing it, off-grid, constantly moving, I don't know that I would be able to have a routine because if I want to make my morning coffee, maybe in the new spot that we move, it's covered in snow and I don't want to go outside and use the stove. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be, I mean, that's why I say rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, can like generally get by with the, doing the same stuff every day, but it's going to be slightly different no matter where you're at. Like, to define rhythm, you could, every day, you could drink coffee, but you won't be able to likely drink your coffee at 6.30 a.m. on the dot every day. Your sleep or pattern... Or in the scamp, it might be at a coffee shop. Right, or in your sleep patterns. Like, you may need eight hours of sleep every night, but some nights that may begin later, and some nights it may begin earlier. So you're not as bound to time, and you just have to, like, be okay with that. Mm -hmm. The sun is more uh, conducive to what we do than the actual time is. I think that was really, really hard for me in the beginning of this lifestyle, is the routine thing. Because mm -hmm. it was like, well, it's a freaking Monday. Why are we not getting up and um, starting to work? And it's not that we weren't working for ourselves. We are, every day is a weekday, and every day is a weekend. That's something, even if you're not living off-grid, adjusting to 
I hate to say entrepreneurial, but like working for yourself or working, like setting your own hours, setting your own schedule and everything is a thing to get used to. Because if you're working at a job where somebody else has an assignment for you, then that's what you're doing. But uh, when you don't have that, it I think journaling really helps and different things like that. But that's definitely something to adjust to. That kind of falls in line with the next point, which is money. How we make money um, on the road is very different than the way that we made money in the city. We were very prepared. Uh, well, I shouldn't say very prepared, but we had the intent all along before ever moving into the camp to make um, our work be fully digital, fully remote, so that we could, as long as we have internet, we can do our work from anywhere in the world, really. So we were thinking about that all prior to moving. And we had most of those systems loosely dialed mm -hmm, in before sure. moving into the scam. But I f catch myself in that area also feeling responsible for people trying this lifestyle, kind of seeing the beauty in it that we portray on YouTube, but then, um, oh, pretty blue bird right there with the black head. I would say for a lot of the way that we do things, like you kind of have to be in the mindset or be available to the idea of working remote or setting yourself up for an online job. There it is again. Or, like, there's another one over here. Or, like, niche seasonal work. I, I say niche because then you can oftentimes make more money than you would if it were just, like, something anybody could do. So if you can find some sort of niche skill that you can do, like, even working on... Um, wind farms or something, you know, or like changing bulbs in towers, like cell towers or different like weird things that you're good at. Um, or if you're good at, uh, growing like fungus, you know, like you're a fungus producer, like different, all sorts of different, like weird niche things that you could get into because then the money that you can make in doing those is like higher in shorter term than it is if you're just like working on a plain old farm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but the wages probably won't be as high unless you're like specifically oh, uh, skilled, you know? Yeah, I guess it was like face paint. Yeah, uh, it's that, niche. Mm -hmm, so I made really good money in the city face painting. But if you were, let's say, even uh, painting houses, I know you can make a lot of money painting houses, but just for sake of example, then you, it's not as niche, so then maybe you wouldn't make as much money per hour as you would face painting. Mm -hmm. And with the seasonal thing, I think you can definitely get by working in different towns seasonally, being a, um, like working on the mountain or working at a gear shop. We actually recommended that to a lot of people in the beginning, that that's a really good way to get your um, initial setup of good gear is working at a gear shop because then you get discounts on um, equipment and clothing and stuff. But... In a lot of areas we've been, now that this has become a such a popular way of life, it's now technically illegal to be camping long-term in forest land if you are working in town. In some places. Yeah, true. It depends on jurisdiction. They're getting really loose with how they use the jargon to make legality or, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So then sometimes rangers will ask, so are you working in town? Like in Jackson. Mm -hmm. And then he said, well, if you said, yeah, you were working in town, then I'd have to kick you out and I'd probably write you a ticket. And it's like, well, okay. It Even seems, though it's yeah. public land, 
that says in that area they had changed the limit to five days because it's such a popular area that they want to give everybody a chance to stay. But yeah. even if it's, yeah, we're in a pretty legally gray Even area. though it is legal by the books, it, it depends on property value, really. If people are paying a lot of money to live in certain places, then they put more pressure on the forest rangers or police to um, like make sure that they're not living there. So then they change the rules to where if you are living in this area or recreating full-time here, or if you're getting paid in town to be here, or if you have like a uh, P.O. box in town, or they're using all different sorts of uh, criteria to measure whether you are making this your residence or not. And I think that makes sense. Like, if I was living in a place and there were just a bunch of people who were um, boondocking full-time for free out in the forest, like, that would make sense. But, I but mean... But that's how it is. Like, and a lot of those people are also... Uh, that's part of why the rules are getting stricter is because people are not following the legal limits. They're right. staying beyond their two weeks and they're just then moving a mile away. Um, so that's kind of ruining it for everyone. But, like we were saying earlier, that's sort of a symptom of where we're at culturally. If people, like a lot of these people that are working seasonally are in towns where the tourism is spiked. And they don't, like they're trying to cater to the tourists, but there's not enough housing because the houses, or the housing areas have been bought up by hotels or Airbnbs or people's second homes, whatever. So then the people are trying to work in town but they can't afford to live in town, so then they choose to live in a camper outside of town, but then the people who are benefiting from those people working at the coffee shop or whatever then glare at them for living outside of town because they've made it so that they can't live inside of town. So it's kind of like, it's not those people's faults as much as we'd like to True. think. Yeah. Even like, and I'll get off this rant, but with like, uh, the homeless population, like, seeing that in Seattle, and I guess L.A. has something like 60,000 homeless people, that's a sizable town, you know, so it's not just that these people are... The 60,000 is a sizable town, is what yeah, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, like, it's enough people to be a sizable town. So, the, like, housing crisis, whatever you want to call it, it's an actual problem. We're just experiencing the symptoms of that problem. You know, and this is a pretty viable solution to that problem, at least at a small scale. But it's getting to the point where enough people are like, oh, that's a good idea to where it's getting a little bit blown out. You know what I have or we have collectively thought of if we had land, different plots of land across the United States, just allowing places for people to go and park who are living like this? Because what happens if... Um, the United States continues letting go of national forest land and BLM land, then there's no place for people like this to park. Then what do you do? I think that would be the play, is buying plots of land and having a very loose trailer park, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you had 10, 15 acres and had a bunch of different campsites, just how national forest or BLM land is set up, but then have like a community uh, washroom and... Because what's a bummer is that this is such, honestly, this is such a, we are living far below our um, learned means. You know, we are creating a really small footprint. So this way of life is actually very beneficial to 
um, everyone. We are taking up such a small amount of space. And we're making our own power. We contribute plenty to society. It's not like, like we are as close to not being parasitic as we can. But then uh, a lot of people like look down upon mm -hmm. how we're living. And I think a lot of that, too, that I've experienced, the criticism, which is something that is on our list as well. The feedback when we started this was pretty negative, that we are crazy, that this doesn't make sense. Why would you want to live like this? And now uh, the feedback that we get, because YouTube has really validated this and shown that what we're doing is not... Um, like you said, we are contributing, and we are um, not contributing as well to the to the footprint. And not that we don't have a carbon footprint of our own, but but now the criticism we get from people is usually um, I think there's some slight feelings of jealousy in some of the people who give us negative feedback because we have escaped the system in a really unique way, and a lot of people don't have the opportunity or the option to leave like people with um families and with high paying jobs like how do you and obligations how do you let go of that but youtube like the validation from youtube has been really nice but at the same time it's it doesn't feel as real as conversations and like we can have a thousand people saying oh this is awesome and then one person even on youtube that is negative and then it's like oh <laughs> what is my life i'm doing everything right. wrong however an interesting thing any person that we have met in person who knows us from youtube has been uh awesome. one of the cool well i'm saying this all wrong the people any what the people that we've met through youtube <laughs> every per everyone that we've met yeah. have been awesome that have met or that have seen us and been like hey i know you guys from youtube then as soon as we have that conversation or hang out with them, they're the coolest people ever. Mm -hmm. Which, thanks everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So it's it's working, and that's proof of it. But it just doesn't seem totally visceral a lot of times. Or it doesn't feel totally visceral. Yeah, I think it's kind of misunderstood. Like to friends and family, oftentimes. I think less so. But people well, have... Well, that's because I think in our case, it's because of YouTube, because we're mm -hmm. showing it, painting this picture of it to be a super positive, very easy, um, wonderful way of life. And that's almost always the case. But without YouTube, I think a lot of people in our, uh, who are close to us would be like, what are you guys doing out there? They wouldn't get it. You're just being bums, like sitting in the forest, not working at all. And that's not at all the case. How are you going to save for retirement? Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Let's last talk about the, like, what this is as a couple. Okay. And what did you say earlier about solo versus couple travel? If, I think there are certain aspects of it that would be a lot easier solo, or even when you go on trips for a couple weeks or whatever, I get to feel what it's like to be by myself. It's easier because you can do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about somebody else at all, you know. But then you don't have anybody to share the stories and experiences with. So then it feels lonely. Like there's not that validation of, oh, do you remember when we did this? You're like telling somebody a story that they had nothing to do with. So uh, that would be, living solo in that regard would be difficult. But I think then you would just have to 
meet other people who are doing something similar on the road and kind of like form caravans or whatever to accommodate that. Living as a couple, we just have to be on the same page. And if we do get in an argument, we have to figure out a way to squash that. Or if we can't squash it in the moment, then one of us go on a walk or go to town or do whatever we got to do to like cool off and then come back, figure out a solution that we can both agree on or apologize or living this way has made it so clear to me too um that we really have to work together not only to live like this but like to have a relationship with one another in the city we could um I've said this so many times but we could just hide in other bedrooms or whatever and not get into um what was causing friction between us but now we've learned that we are a team working together not only in this camp but in life and our relationship has become so much stronger because of that it's pretty fascinating mm-hmm. but now I think beyond myself when I'm upset and I think about okay where's he at in this argument okay I see how he could have gotten there all right let's talk um these are both of our experiences. Now, how can we work together to get past this? And it's really been huge for us. And and logically, it's more, I want to come to a resolution with you than win an argument. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, we can't be, like, we can't have a winner and a loser. It's got to be like, okay, are we both cool? And we both, like, have said what we need to say versus, like, okay, see, I was right, you know? A lot of our routines have changed. I mean, we already talked about routine, but a lot of the um, way that we do things in life has have changed. I really like to be up early in the mornings, but um, Baron goes to bed a lot later than I do. So when I wake up, I usually will lay in bed for 30 minutes to an hour just so that I don't get up and wake you up. Um, and then when I do, I have to be a lot more quiet because we're in a teeny tiny... 10 foot space within this 13 foot trailer um in the summertime it's a lot easier because I can just go outside and do what I do outside but then it's the same thing with you at night needing Mm -hmm. to be um not talking on video games and being relatively quiet when you come to bed things like that and even if I need to go outside or if I'm loading the stove I gotta try to be as mindful as I can earplugs would be a nice thing for us to have Matador makes earplugs now. The stove is another complexity that we really haven't talked about, but it's ripe on our minds because we just reinstalled it a couple days ago. It feels so good to have the wood stove installed again. It feels like home. Yeah. Being able to exist in a warm space. It's so natural to me as a human to have warmth. Especially when it's cold outside. It's so much less desperate. Like whenever, yeah. you know, whenever I can we enjoy my life, right? When we don't have the stove up and it gets cold, it's like okay, now we gotta live through this night. It's interesting that a lot of people do not have wood stoves. Um, they've got propane heaters, and we were doing propane kind of incorrectly when we had a propane heater, so it created a ton of moisture, and that was awful. Mm-hmm. That was one of those challenges that was a lot different in the beginning than it is now. Uh, the wood stove has been fantastic. We're sitting 
next to it right now, and I'm only wearing a sports bra because it's, like, the middle of the day, and it's hot. The other night, I was trying to just, it was probably in the low 30s, low mid 30s, <laughs> and I was just trying to feed the stove as slow as I could just to keep it going and keep, like, a small coal bed so I wouldn't have to relight it before I went to sleep. And it was like 85 plus degrees in here and I couldn't, I couldn't run it low enough to make it not cook us out. So Elsa was in bed, <laughs> I was, just like frustrated and sweating. With... I was so hot. Well, cause I woke up in like a hot sweat, you know what I mean? Like panic. I, I don't even remember opening furiously the um, curtain in the window, like, oh my God are we dead? <laughs> I took my pants off and just laid there, was falling asleep, trying to hold the curtain open. Um, it gets hot in here quick with this little stove. Yeah. And it's not quite cold enough Yeah, to where we really need it. So it's nice to have though. But a couple nights it got down into the teens and we didn't have the stove up and it gets pretty cold at night, but it's more cold in the mornings when we have to get up. So to finish this off, to reiterate, how incredible this lifestyle really is. We could take all those things we listed and flip that and make that a positive. Mm -hmm. Talk about why it's actually so great to be able to collect our own water. Do we talk about that? Like, it, what's great about it? Uh, I mean, we don't have to dump it. We don't have to pay a water bill. It's pretty cheap. We don't have to take our rig into town to go and we, um, fill up. And we get to choose where we're going to fill up water, so we always have good water. But beyond that, like, higher level, we are constantly in nature. I can spend um, the majority of my days outside, and I can even work outside. And we live in the future, so we have full access to the internet and enough power to do whatever we want on our laptops. I feel like I've become a lot nicer of a person because I am less fearful generally. I've really begun to thrive by living this way and I didn't know that I needed this. Now when we step back into the city it's like all of those stimulus and all the competition and everything is just so much more apparent but then we didn't even realize it was a thing. Mm -hmm. So there is, there are so many things that make this preferable for us over the way that we were living before. But we just think it's important if people are, yeah, I want to do that, to know the different complexities and... Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. It's not just easy YouTube, Instagram, van life. We leave our house and move into a camper and now everything is better. Yeah. I mean, it will be eventually if you stay at it and can figure things out, but it's not, it doesn't come as easily as, but at the same time, we have figured this out and it did all the solutions and everything, like I've said before, came more easily than I could have ever imagined. You got to be like tough mentally and adaptable and you have to be comfortable with your own thoughts and you have to be confident. I hope that that resonated with some people and... I hope to make a YouTube video about this. I just kind of wanted to flesh it out in, in this way to get out all of our ideas before organizing it into a video. We'll Great. see you soon on the YouTubes. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at normal2nomad.com slash podcast. 
If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.